You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Happy Wednesday, everybody. How's everybody doing on the uh, midweek, coast to coast to coast? Uh, LZ has dropped in for Chris Viss today. Welcome aboard, LZ. Of course, Sam Pope is here in the Cathedral of Talk, the Temple of Talk. The Pope is here. Solomon's here. So we got the Temple of Talk. We got the Cathedral of Talk. We got everything for you. Uh, Dan Kelly's going to drop by, the president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, who thinks a day off, a holiday for the Queen on the 19th would be a money loser. Very happy with what Ontario's done. Elizabeth May is going to take another crack at running for the Green Party. Is it even relevant anymore? She's going to drop by. She's decided to pop in. Well, always good to have anybody who tries to lead or was a leader of a political party on the big show here. The War Room was here, Zane Velji, which is interesting. Zane just lost his dad, so we're welcoming Zane back. Tom Mulcair is here, and Tim Powers is here. Um, And so that is on the big show um, for a couple blocks. We will, of course, check in with what's going on in London with Joy Melbourne as we inch ever closer to the uh, state funeral on the 19th. So that is uh, not nothing. And uh, lots more to come. So I was thinking about the big show last night because I was out again. And we'll do a segment later called The Helpless Bachelor. Now, I don't want to whine too much because my life is good and, and I am not a whiner about it. But what I'm enjoying right now, as you know, my wife has been away for multiple weeks on on. I, you know, she does these expeditions on a ship, the Polar Princess, um, which is the name of the ship, not my wife. Um, although she could be the Polar Princess. She does go to the Polar Regions a fair bit. She's the chief of staff of this um, great organization called Students on Ice. So they take uh, scientists and students to the Polar Region. So she's always on these icebreakers in exotic places. And she is again right now. And... So, and my kids are out, you you know, they're at university. So I'm suddenly for the first time in my life, a total empty nester. And it's been really fun because, um, as I whine about it on air and by the way, I'm not whining. It's just like me, the dog and the cat puddle, Oliver. It's great. And, but people are being very kind to me. And my wife keeps phoning me. Like when she gets contact off the ship, like, how's it going? Are you uh, okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. I do a lot of exercise. I watch a lot of football and baseball and whatever else is on and. And then people just invite me to dinner because they assume I'm a helpless bachelor, which is great. And I actually like it. So I've never gone out so much. And I've the kindness of strangers, as Tennessee Williams might have said. So we'll talk about that. And my wife is furious because she's like, you know, when I'm alone and you're away, no one cares. And I'll tell you why. Not because she doesn't have more friends than me. She does. But she's more competent than I am. People, She has what I like to call... The curse of competence. People don't check in on her to see if she's eating more than a can of sardines because they assume she is. With me, they assume things are falling apart. And let's just say they might be a little. So we'll talk about that. And I'd like anyone to weigh in on how quickly things fall apart when your partner leaves or do you hold it together? But last night, I was uh, noodling around on the big show because there was a confrontation between a well-known journalist from Global News named David Aiken. And I've known David for 20 years. 
And David's a good, I think he's one of, he's a superb journalist. He's just as hard. I don't think he's a partisan guy. He's has been as hard on the liberals as he ever been on, on the conservatives. He's just doing his job. He's a longtime uh, political journalist, does a lot of great work, works his butt off. But he made a mistake yesterday and he's admitted it. And he had a confrontation with Pierre Polyev. And Pierre Polyev's very first public press conference as the new leader. And let me just give you the setup. Mr. Polyev, in the seven months of the leadership race, never sat down for a, an interview with the mainstream media. CTV, CBC, Global, The Globe, The Star, The National Post. I think certainly not on TV. I don't I he did some local. I know he did CP24 and I, I he did some interviews for sure, but not the kind of part. He didn't do the press gallery. You might say, great, and, we'll, and I'll get to that. I should say before the seven month, Mr. Polyev was a regular. There was nobody you would, they, who would love to debate more. There was no happier warrior than Mr. Polyev. And he was good at it and he remains good at it. He understands that our system is adversarial by nature in terms of the opposition and the government, and he does his job fine. But then he has a new strategy that mainstream media is somehow a liberal plant, partisan, and he's begun to accuse journalists who question him of being liberals. And then he came out and he was going to do a press, not a press conference, a statement on inflation. But he was not going to take, as I understand, any questions. Okay. Now, this has happened also with Justin Trudeau. This is not the first politician who wants to make a statement. But journalists don't like taking cameras and coming to a public event so a politician can just make a statement and we're there as their stenographers. That's not our job. The fundamental belief is an elected official in a democracy should take questions from the press. Now, often they limit questions. We don't submit questions before. Let me disabuse you of any myth you might have. We do not ever, whether it's to Mr. Trudeau, Mr. Polyev, Mr. Singh, or anybody, we do not pre-submit questions. It would violate our ethical code. If I did that at CTV, I'd be gone. You can't do it. They don't tell you what to ask, and you don't tell them what you are asking. Sometimes a producer, you negotiate. They say, well, this is the announcement. Are you going to ask us about that? We'll say, yeah, well, obviously we're going to ask about, let's say, your affordability announcement, but we're also going to ask you about whatever, we charity or something else. And they know that. And sometimes we don't tell them. Obviously we don't. But listen to this exchange. So David Aiken was so mad about this that he was going to come to a press conference and there was going to be no allowance for journalists to ask questions to a guy that we've never, we haven't asked questions to since he's become the leader of the Conservative Party. And he, Pierre Polyev started to, to talk. And then David Aiken, and he's apologized for this because he did the wrong thing here, but he was, he had negotiated. He doesn't want to be a stenographer. And this is what happened. It's going to last a minute. I want you to play it because we're going to discuss it in a minute. Here it is. Where Canadians are spending more just to feed themselves, to heat their homes, and to buy a home in the very first place. The reason that 
like, yeah. So I mean, we we have we we have uh, basically a, a liberal heckler who snuck in here today to. Well, right. Are you going to let me make my misstatement? From the guy who actually reported yeah. first on the prime minister breaking the law. Yeah. Are you going to we let me make like my statement? Ask a question. Say yes. I've so never. I've actually never seen you heckling the I've prime minister. Before. Ask minister. I've never Baird, seen you heckling the, the prime minister. Look, bottom line is this. Yes, I'm taking. I will taking two questions at the very end. Thank you very much. The so I'm going to start my statement again. And hopefully this time without interruption from uh, the uh, liberal heckling g gathering here. And uh, we'll t speak directly to Canadians so that they can hear what the new leader of the opposition has to say. David Aiken, who you heard there, said, quote, later that night tweeting, lots of readers and viewers called me about today's Parliament Hill presser. Many said I was rude and disrespectful to Pierre Polyev. I agree. I'm sorry for that. We all want politicians to answer questions, but there are better ways to make that point. David Aiken apologized, and he knows it. The better way to do it is to let the politician talk, and if they don't want questions, you follow them. It's called a scrum with your cameras, and you yell questions at them, and that's how you do it. But he did it the wrong way. But then there's another side. Pierre Polyev didn't like someone who he dismissed as a liberal heckler. As if any time you're questioning the leader, you're automatically in the pocket of the government. And that leads me to our next segment. Are the politicians the victims of some conspiracy? And how do we hold their feet to the fire? I've got answers and I want to hear from you next. When important decisions are made, we report. Here's Evan Solomon. This was the most instructive exchange, and I think both sides were wrong. Both sides are in the wrong. But it highlights a really critical thing, an issue. First of all, relevant to all of us. How tough should we be on our politicians to get answers? How do we get accountability from politicians who are elected officials? And what should they owe us in terms of answers? I think in a democracy, it's critical that politicians answer questions. But in the other way, the media also has to be transparent and honest. So I want to hear from you, one 633 1010 1855-633-1010 and 71010. This was triggered by the, I think, a superb reporter, hardworking, and I believe completely nonpartisan reporter, global news reporter, David Aiken. He's broken stories on liberal corruption issues, and he interrupted the new conservative leader, Pierre Polyev, multiple times before Mr. Polyev had his first press conference. And let me just play you a snippet of this because, again, I've, and Aiken has apologized because he knew he was way outside the chalk lines here. And then here's the part of the exchange where he's snapping at Mr. Polyev. And then Mr. Polyev dismisses a well-known global journalist as, quote, a liberal heckler. The reason that, the, like, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we, we have, we, we have uh, basically a, a liberal heckler who snuck in here today to, 
Well, Harry, I, I, right. are you going to let me make my misstatement? Aiken has apologized, okay? And he did the right thing. Aiken said lots of reporters or readers and, and viewers called me about um, today's parliament presser. They said I was rude and disrespectful to Pierre Polyev, and I agree. I'm sorry for that. We all want politicians to answer questions, so there's a better way of making the point. There is a better way. You follow them with your cameras if they don't after they've made their statement. That's the normal conventional way. So Aiken, but Pierre Polyev is also wrong to dismiss someone asking questions, even though he was rude. As a liberal heckler, he's not. He's a member of the parliamentary press gallery. He's not a liberal heckler. He's not in the pocket of the liberals. People think, oh, you're all bought and paid for by the government. No, we're not. CTV, for example, we don't take it from that media fund. I know there's bailout funds. That's different. Any more than Pierre Polyev, who's getting a government pension, is paid for and bought by the government because of his pension. Or because of his salary. No, he's independent. Any more than the oil and gas companies who are getting tax breaks or subsidies. Are they paid for by the government and so have to be government lapdogs? No. Any more than any of you who want to call me at 1-855-633-1010 or 71010 who took the CERB or have ever taken anything from the government. Are you a lapdog to the government because you use government services that you and your tax dollars pay for? No. Government's true, there's an intermingling between industry, but that doesn't mean there's a disruption of integrity. And I think it's destructive to dismiss journalists as partisans, and I know you have to weaponize that, and believe me, let me tell you something. I know that distrust in the media is a real issue. We should deal with this. We should be honest about it. The Reuters Institute Digital News Report of 2022 said that Canadian news media has the lowest level of trust in seven years. A study done by the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism said that trust in news has dropped 13% since 2016. Only 42% of Canadian respondents trust, quote, most news most of the time. So I believe me when I, I am not going to pretend that doesn't exist. But there are two things. The media's got to rebuild trust by being honest. But you've got to also hold these accountable to a f- feet to the fire. Now, Justin Trudeau's also done um, press conferences slash statements where he hasn't taken questions. That's wrong, I think. People think, well, you never, no one ever attacks Justin Trudeau. Of course we do. How did you think you found out about the We Charity scandal? How did you think you found out about the blackface scandal? How, how did you, I mean, I can go through the Aga Khan how did you think you found out about the Jody Wilson Raybould? I mean, she was on my show. Like, of course we do it. We did it with when Stephen Harper was in power, when Justin Trudeau's in power. That's the job. Phil, Philip in Toronto, what's up? Hi, Evan. How are you? I'm good. What's your take on this? Okay, um, I, I agree with the points that you're making. I think the issue in, in Canada, especially with the mainstream media, is a distinct impression that it, they're not holding all politicians to account equally. They're very sympathetic to Trudeau and very hostile to Paulie Ever. And I'll give you an example of that. You mentioned the blackface scandal, uh, you know, We Charity, Leaf Maroof. All of those things were covered either by independent media or by foreign media. Time Not magazine true. in the case of Blackface. Yeah, but, uh, but that, okay, well, Blackface, Time Magazine. in the case of We. 
So, you know, Global TV and Global Mail and National Post, if they're doing their jobs, they should be in the middle of this. It doesn't seem like they are. Okay, can I just push back? First of all, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad there's... there's I'm, I'm really glad that there's lots of media that are breaking these things. Um, Time Magazine originally broke the blackface story, the first one. Um, I actually broke the second blackface story. You can look at it. The second picture found of Justin Trudeau wearing blackface was me. So that was CTV. That was me. So I can t- tell you that. Bob Fife and the Globe and Mail broke the entire SNC-Lavalin story and the Jody Wilson-Raybould story, right? Um, the We Charity was broken by a number of people, but credit to Canada Land. They did a lot of work, too. So, so, so I, I'm not sure your point. Um, these are all scandals that you know about, and mainstream media, whether they were the first to break them or not, they broke them and they galloped with them. They were not ignored. Um, Frank in Toronto, go for it. Well, you know what? We, we depend on the media to be the, 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 the question askers for the, the general public. They gotta, and you know what? Being rude, sometimes I, I'm okay with it. Let them ask the hard questions. You know, what troubles me equally as much when, when I heard the clip that you played of Polyev was he, he almost sounded like Trump at one of his press conferences or rallies when somebody uh, asks him something he does not want to confront, he automatically labels that person and puts him in the category of being in the enemy's camp. And, you know, being a crybaby doesn't excuse you from answering the question. And Polyev kind of did that a little bit. I got that deja vu. But the media's got to be there to ask hard questions, whether politicians like it or not, because we've become a society of just, you know, no accountability for actions. Uh, listen, and I agree. And Frank, I think your point's a great one. You've got to be tough and you've got to be fair. You've got to be equal. If you're tough on Trudeau, you know, and, and look, I have to do this every day. I, you know, I hammer away at Marco Mendicino on public safety, on the RCMP or the Emergencies Act or the Justice Minister. You can see my work. But I also got to ask the same tough questions to Pierre Polyev. It's not a partisan thing. And, you're, and, and politicians shouldn't recast themselves as victims of a conspiracy because they're being held to account by people like us who are fortunate enough to have access because we're members of the Parliamentary Press Gallery. This idea that everyone's a victim of, the, of some kind of media conspiracy is a way to actually uh, escape from scrutiny. And you don't, want the, you don't want Mr. Polyev to escape from scrutiny, and you certainly don't want Justin Trudeau to. I got a minute here. Mark, do you have a real, do you have a quick 30 seconds in you? Hi. Um, politicians have to answer questions, period. You know, uh, that's part of the job. Every job has something that you have to do. And in my eyes, you want to be a politician? Well, you got to answer the questions. If you can't answer the questions, it's don't get into the job. If, if you want to be a baby, a crybaby, that said, oh, you can't ask me a question, you can't ask me that, well, don't yeah. become a politician. Well, I agree with you, and, and, and thanks for the call. Uh, someone in 30, someone just texted me, Evan Aiken was unprofessional. He should be fired. Fired for what? He said, apologize. Evan, you were just as biased during the Freedom Convoy. Both of you should be ashamed to call yourself reporters. I was biased during the Freedom Convoy? I was out there every day for three weeks talking to people. The bias is, my job isn't to confirm your bias. It's to tell a story. Let's take a break. I love them. Keep the thoughts coming. 
helping you through these unique times. This is The Evan Solomon Show. Welcome back to The Big Show. Sam Pope is in the Cathedral of Talk, the Temple of Talk, Cathedral of Controversy. Hi, Sam. How's life? Life is good. Thanks, Evan. How's life for you? Very good, Sam. Very good. Good. Sam and I are excited that we just get to be in the same place. I've been broadcasting alone here for so many years, and now that we finally are in the same place, right? Like, I we can know. actually talk. We can actually interact. It's so much fun. I'm having a blast. Sam can see me eat lunch, and she's like, gross. Uh, yesterday, you saw the Prime Minister announce that Monday, September the 19th, is going to be a federal holiday for federal workers. And you remember my rant on this. He said it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea to just give public servants a paid holiday because the bad look, even if you want to honor the queen, do the same thing for everyone. Now, the Atlantic provinces have decided they are going to join, but BC and Ontario are not because they say, look, we'll commemorate. We'll have a moment of silence, but you got to go to work. Here's the prime minister announcing it. And you can see what, how he's saying, we're trying to figure out the details. We will be working with the provinces uh, and uh, the uh, territories uh, to try and see that we're aligned on this. There are still uh, a few details to be worked out, uh, but uh, uh, declaring an opportunity for Canadians to mourn uh, on Monday uh, is going to be important. You know my thought. Um, I I respect the Queen. I don't think people should get a, a full day off to, quote, mourn. I think we should honor the Queen. I don't think it needs a full day off. Here's what we've... Newfoundland, Labrador, government and schools closed. Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, government and schools closed. PEI, full stat. Small businesses closed. And if you work, you got to pay them two and a half times. In Quebec, no, open. Obviously, Legault's not in the middle of a campaign and going to give time off to honor the French, uh, the, uh, the, the, the monarchy. They, they don't do that. Ontario also open. Manitoba government closed. Saskatchewan open. B.C. government and schools closed. Alberta, we don't know. But Dan Kelly is the president and the CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. And he urged Ontario, don't close. Don't close. It would cost billions. And he joins us now to try to figure out the cost of this holiday. Hi, Dan. Hey, Evan. I asked the uh, parliamentary secretary to the finance minister, uh, Randy Boisano yesterday. How much is this going to cost? Oh, we don't have those figures. Huh. I mean, I, I get honoring the Queen, but don't you think you should have the courtesy of doing the math? What's the math on this? Oh, it's huge. Look, uh, it is good news that uh, most provinces have confined to the government or have kept uh, businesses open. But even just shutting down the government sector, shutting down schools has, has an impact and cost. If this was, was extended right across the board, if, if all provinces had declared a true statutory holiday or paid vacation day for every single Canadian, the cost, would, as bank economists have estimated, would be between 2 and $4 billion, billion with a B. Uh, and remember, I mean, the government of Canada is one of the largest, if not the largest, employer in the country, so it's, it's got to be measured in hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. in additional costs. To do that, unless we are of the view that civil servants don't do much, and in which case, I guess it costs nothing. 
Well, that's not actually true. A, they do do a lot. I'm not going to run down. No, I'm service. saying that's no, no, no. <laughs> I know that, but but the other thing is, I think what the federal employees number. I'm trying to get the number, but I think it's like three hundred and forty thousand or something. Yeah, that's that's the, that's the core civil service, uh, and of course, uh, many provinces. It looks like about half have decided that they will close. Uh, government or schools as well. So that that number would rise. It's got to be well in excess of a half million Canadians will be given a paid day off. Right. Uh, so that's expensive. So it, now it, the question people listening might say, well, that's the cost of being part of a, um, a constitutional monarchy. And we, we, you know, you can't put a price on everything. We take Christmas off. We don't say, why do we take Christmas off? Or we, we don't say we take, you know, holidays are expensive. But we need them. But this isn't a holiday. This is to honor Queen Elizabeth. And, for example, Ontario has made the decision, look, we will have a moment of silence and we will have a day of commemoration, but we don't need a full day off. I actually think that's the right thing to do, especially when stats show, and we had a poll yesterday from Leger uh, and Christian Bork came on, that said 77% of Canadians really don't feel any attachment to the monarchy at all. So... When you were fighting to to make sure Ontario did, was Ontario close to making this a federal holiday? We were not sure. So we reached out uh, several days in advance, worried that this might happen. Australia and New Zealand did declare statutory holidays, although they had paid holidays, but they pushed them later in the month, not on the Queen's actual funeral day. Uh, the UK didn't, in fact, <laughs> even the UK uh, has kept all businesses essentially open. It's up to the business to decide whether they wish to close or not, but they are closing governments and schools. Uh, it was hard to say. I mean, PEI is the only province that has gone down the road of a full statutory holiday for the private sector, uh, but we did push provinces to uh, to keep open, and I agree with you. I think that, that there's far more likelihood, for example, that my 14-year-old son is going to you know honour the Queen's memory if there's a few moments taken to do that in school than playing, uh, than playing Fortnite at home. Don't we already have a May 24th holiday, the Queen's birthday, Victoria Day? Yes. Yes, we do. That is a holiday in Canada. So, like, the idea, I get we're commemorating this, but we do have a day already for the, the Queen, and that's part of Canadian tradition. I, I just, I think at this point, when we've got such high inflation and people struggling, it's an, ex, it's an expensive ask for us to spend more money to give people, like, and again, do people need a full day to mourn the queen? I get we are going to honor her, but is the only way to honor her not working? I don't know about that. Evan, if you look at my Twitter feed, at CFIB, uh, I would say there is about 5% of the hate mail or hate tweets that I'm getting that are that are saying that this was disrespectful to the queen. 95% saying they want a day off. Apparently, my son told me this morning that there was a TikToker that was criticizing me for pushing against the day off in Ontario because he and his friends wanted a day off of school. Uh, you know, I think that this is what it has become. And I, I will say at the federal level, keep in mind that between Labor Day and Thanksgiving Day, there are five weeks and four statutory holidays, four paid days off for every civil service at the federal, civil servant at the federal level, four of them in a five week period. I mean, we again, I, I understand the need to be respectful. This is a significant day, and I'm not taking anything away whatsoever from uh, the, the momentous occasion that it is. But do we need a paid day off? And is that the best way to recognize this? Remembrance Day is an important call, is an important occasion. I, I, I think I think it's well done in Ontario and Quebec where 
there is a moment of silence, but but you do you do go to work and kids do go to school. Yeah, and by the way, our prime minister is already going there to honor her. He'll be there. It's not like Canadians are doing nothing. We've had you know wall to wall coverage. This is important. No one's diminishing it. The idea that the only way the if you don't give everyone a day off, somehow you're disrespecting. The Queen. I actually think it's a mistake for them just to give public servants the day off because I think the Queen um, and the whole idea that the monarchy is for an elite few shouldn't be for public servants. It should be for everyone. Even as you say, in the UK, there's no statutory entitlement to time off for bank holidays. Employers are going to maybe respond individually to sensitive requests to those who want to take the day off. So, like, it's a holiday, but not doesn't require employers to, to close or to pay extra to recognize the occasion. Right, even the UK is like that. You got it, and and when you when you put this in the context of what's happened over the last couple of years, businesses in Canada, you know, if you think about restaurants and hotels in the city of Toronto as an example, restaurants, gyms in the city of Toronto were closed for they had four hundred and thirty statutory holidays. Uh, where they had to yeah. pay employees if they could keep them. This is not in an environment where it's you know these are boom times. We are in deep deep trouble with a shortage of labor. Only half of small businesses are back to normal levels of sales. So I do think Ontario reached the right decision. I and, do too. And the, feds, and the feds, I think it was good that they didn't expand it to the federally regulated sectors. But even the core civil service, I agree with you. I think that that, you know, I'm not sure that that was the best way that, I don't that, think that it's the right we, message. we need to go with. I look, we got to honor the queen, but I don't know if this, doing it unequally is not right in my view. Dan Kelly, president and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses. Dan, uh, stay off your Twitter probably for the next couple of days. Uh, Elizabeth May from the Green Party is going to drop in on the big show next. Stay with us. From coast to coast to coast, the newsmakers talk here. This is The Evan Solomon Show. Is the dream dead for the Green Party of Canada? Annamie Paul, who was the uh, last leader, she quit. She's never done an outgoing interview. Uh, She got pummeled in the last election. When she was, I used to talk to her all the time. She was the first... Jewish black leader of a federal party. She was a passionate spokesperson, did very well. I moder- I was one of the moderators at the federal election debate. She did very well. But when she left, she got booted out. She said she was subjected to racism and she made lots of allegations. She's never spoken again publicly. Said it was the worst time of her life. Now, just in the last 48 hours, the Green Party president has quit. Lorraine Reckmas, Reckmans, and she resigned with another open letter saying this has been a turbulent tenure for me as the president of the Green Party after one year. I'm exhausted. My optimism has died. She said, I, now I see that for me, the dream is dead. I've come up with resist, serious resistance to the effort, and I've been met with allegations that the Green Party is in peril under my leadership. We need more money and more staff. There have been serious allegations against the party about many acts of discrimination and abuse. I cannot see how we can continue safely amidst these allegations that harm is being caused to other members. I mean, it's a mess. But it was never a mess under Elizabeth May like this. 
The current MP for Sanders Gulf Islands was the leader for 13 years, and now she's decided, you know what, I don't know, this place is so bad since I left, I'm going to run again, but I'm going to run on a joint ticket with Jonathan Pedno, and Elizabeth May joins us now. Elizabeth May, first of all, I haven't talked to you all summer. I hope you're well. What the heck are you doing running again? You told me you were done. Exactly. Well, first of all, Evan, uh, that was a lot of context out there, but we can get to that. But let me say why I'm running, which isn't that I looked around and thought, oh, dear, the party's the only party that needs me. No. I am a very um, hardworking Green member of Parliament. I love working with, with uh, uh, Mike Morris, my colleague from Kitchener Center. Why I decided to do something, when I told you I had was never going to run again, I meant it from the bottom of my heart because I felt the party was better off with somebody newer and fresher and that we, we were going to be fine. We were always going to be fine. But the problem for me and the reason I decided to run was that I keep reading the climate science. I read it every day. And on April 4th, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the top global scientists, issued a report that shook me. I I didn't think I could be shook. I thought I kind of had a grip on climate emergency. It's not good. It's not getting better. But on April 4th, the scientists said uh, the window will close on essentially a survivable world. They use the degrees. They say 1.5 degrees or even 2. The window on holding to that much warming will close before our next election in Canada because they say we must ensure that globally we stop adding emissions of fossil fuels and start subtracting them, all of us, well before 2025 at the latest. I can tell you I read that, and combined with the fact that the Liberals and the NDP, as you know, have a deal, so the Liberals are basically on cruise control. They don't need to fear that their government can can topple. We've now got Pierre Poiliev as conservative leader, who is in the other direction altogether. We're in a climate emergency, and he intentionally wants to f- throw fuel on the fire. I think in the case of Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh, they just don't care, but their actions throw fuel on the fire. So two days after that science report, Justin Trudeau approved more drilling offshore Newfoundland and insisted in the budget three days later that we're building a pipeline. I, I get all water. that, but, I mean, but it's that's still, why I'm doing this. Okay, but you're doing it also because after you left, Annamy Paul's tenure blew up. The party's divided. I read that resignation letter of the of the the party president, and it just, like internally, it's a mess, Elizabeth. And you know, yeah. Mike Morris, the Kitchener Center MP, the only other MP outside of you, has said that if indeed there's a pause to the leadership race, and you know that there's a consideration that in the wake of the resignation, it should pause. He's saying it would be irre- irreversible damage, and he would sit as an independent. By the way, well, would you do the cla- same thing? No, he's clarified that statement. And he's made it very clear that he's committed to sit as a Green. If, if you know, hypothetically, there could be a case, you know, we do have financial problems. And if the Green Party management wasn't able to pull this out, and I'm absolutely confident we will, if there's no party, well, Mike and I aren't going to join some other party. That's his point. Where, where do you go if you're if your only party you can believe in is the Green Party, well, what you do is you roll up your sleeves and you make sure that. But the what Green happened? Party okay, so stronger. what happened? You had a rule. You were so like, we're going to get, we're going to get twelve MPs every. Yep. Like every time I dig into the Green Party, there's allegations of discrimination and there's internal wow. warfare, and you know that. The the you've had shambolic every... performances in the last election. Like what happened to your party, Elizabeth May? Well, 
we do remember, I mean, if we want to go back, and I really do want to go forward, because if we don't elect more Greens, and if we don't make a difference before 2025, I mean, I, let this sink in, Evan, you're, you're a father, and I'm a mom and grandmother. I can't imagine a world much hotter than the one we're in now with the floods in Pakistan and the fires throughout B.C. and more heat domes. This is at 1.1 degree global average temperature increase. This is what we're experiencing now at 1.1. And the scientists are telling us, if you go ahead with Bay Nor and building the Trans Mountain Pipeline, you're losing the opportunity to avoid going above two degrees. I mean, we're at one, every fraction of a degree increase in global average temperature means millions of people die. That's what we're increasingly seeing. So for me, as, as a climate activist, I was so shaken by it, Evan. I was actually thinking, do I quit Parliament? Do I go, where can I make a bigger difference? And then I realized the bigger difference is if I were back to being you know, in Parliament as leader as opposed to former leader, and I did it differently with a with a partner who's much younger. So we're looking at this co-leadership option because Jonathan Ped now is 32 years old, the youngest contestant in the race. I'm no surprise; I'm the oldest. But we together bring different backgrounds. And Are you allowed to? And some other leadership candidate said, "You know what? You shouldn't. You shouldn't be allowed to run as a co-leader." Why not? It's in our constant. We lay it out in our. By the way, today's the last day to join the Green Party to vote in this first round. We're going to have two rounds of voting before the leader is known. I'm offering myself to be of service if the membership says, "Well, sorry, we don't like the co-leader idea. We don't like you." But the reality is that co-leaders are in government. Co Green Party co-leaders are in government right now in the cabinets of Germany and New Zealand and Scotland and other countries. It's not every Green Party around the world that has co-leaders, but it's very common because it says we're sharing this workload. It's distributed leadership. You know, when I was leader, people would assume that I had all kinds of power because I was mm. I was the leader. And you you talked to me enough that you know. I, yeah, I know. Okay, but hold on. Well, I've here. got a minute. I don't want. I don't want to blow okay. my opportunity well, what I would say I, because is, I just want you to tell people. I mean, who have watched the? I got a minute here. Legitimate. Okay. Why should people get back involved with a party that's been in such disarray after last election? What's the pitch you're going to actually make to people that care that the Green Party has a place in our political firmament? Let give Jonathan Pidnow and me a chance as co-leaders, which would require a change under our constitution. For the first phase, we'd be leader and deputy leader. The members will make these decisions, but we have an obligation to not waste our time in petty disputes. We have an obligation to set aside hurt feelings and egos and all of that, including me. I'll admit, but not more than enough blame to go around. Uh, you know, we 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 know the transition from me as leader to we've had three yeah. leaders since I left. It hasn't been. I got ten seconds working out well, and I don't blame anybody. But give us a chance because we are needed, and we will deliver. Huh. Like Mike Schreiner delivers at Queens Park, we will deliver. All right. Well, Elizabeth May, uh, we're going to watch this race. It's unfolding. Elizabeth May, thanks for joining us. Uh, the war room is on the other side of the break. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. The Queen uh, lies in state at Westminster Hall right now, but we lie in wait for the Hall of Justice, the war room. 
Let me be perfectly clear. Putting out misinformation. And we hear that. Misleading politics. What's really important here. Spreading it online. Unequivocally. The War Room. And here they are, all of them knighted for their wisdom. The Duke himself, Tim Powers, chairman of Summa Strategies and managing director of Abacus Data, which is why we do call him the Duke of Data. And now, and of course, the man who was knighted many, many times, or as he likes to say, once a night is enough. Tom Mulcair, the CTV political analyst and former NDP leader. Hi, Evan. Once a king, always a king, but once a night is enough. And the king himself, uh, Zane Velge, political campaign strategist, partner at Northweather, formerly worked with Calgary Mayor. Uh, welcome, gents. Uh, before we get into the actual shenanigans of politics, uh, a warm welcome to our mm-hmm. brother Zane, um, who has yes. just come back, folks, uh, from the loss of his dad. And um, these are not easy times. And I, first of all, we send you our love and our um, kinship and fellowship and to you and your family. And, and just tell us, how, how are you and how's your mom and how, how's everyone holding up? Oh, thank you, Evan. I mean, and, and thanks to, to the three of you for your kind words and thoughts and just wisdom and insight. It's, it's, it's meant a lot. Uh, yeah, we're, we're doing okay. I was just telling Tom, you know, just before he got on air, four vaccines and my dad still passed of, of COVID. But, you know, one of those things that we got that I know many families across the country didn't get was a chance to talk to him before he left. He knew he was, these were his final hours and days and he was lucid for a two hour period where he kind of gave us life advice. And he talked to us about things that he uh, didn't necessarily regret, but wish that we would take on and carry on and did his last rites, which was really important to him. And in a sense of closure, I mean, I couldn't have scripted a, a better send off for, for, for a man I love so much. So mom and I are doing well. And uh, it's thanks to, to the kind words and, and, and the, and the uh, real deep sentiment that the three of you have alongside others that, uh, that's helped us get through it. So thank you for that, really. Well, thank you uh, for coming back. And I know um, Tim and I, and I think Tom, I, I don't know if your dad is, my, we all lost our dads. And, and, yeah, my dad passed uh, quite a few years ago, yeah. Yeah, and Zane, you know, this is such a, the land of grief is so odd, right? That, that dance yeah. of an absence and a presence. I don't know if you were there for your dad's last moments. Um, and I, I, when I saw my dad's last moment, we, we were lucky enough to be there. But it, it took me months and months to kind of, mm-hmm. it was almost like a wall that you had to climb over because I kept seeing those last moments as if that was his last, his whole life. And you have to almost climb over those yeah. Was, and then once you get to the top of that, then you go back and you actually see that that's just a tiny moment in an incredible life. But I, those are very difficult times. Yeah. Oh, very, very much so. And, and we were, you know, like when I said I couldn't have scripted better, it was all of us by his bedside, holding his hand, talking to him. Um, he knew it was there. We were, he was on compassionate care at that moment where the oxygen level was uh, put to a more sort of, you know, c- comfortable level rather than, you know, survival level, if I can be so, so crass. And he, he knew and, and, and um, yeah, and I think for all of us, it's just that point, Evan, we had so many other memories, uh, even in that two or three day period that we now can, can hold on to defining what that experience was rather than just simply the, those last uh, heartbeats and those last breaths. And it was uh, very, very special in, in, in that, in that way. We're all talking about grieving because of the Queen this 10-day, but this is so much more personal. I just want to give Tom and, and then Tim just an opportunity to say something about that. We, we've all been here, sadly. It's a club you never mm. want to join, but you're, you're in it. Um, and, and the country's trying to deal with grief on a much more 
uh, general way, obviously with the Queen, but but yet Tom, just some words for Zane because it is these are transformative moments, and no words really capture these kind of things. No, and Zane's first note to us showed the importance of his dad in his life, and I think that that's the most. Uh, relevant thing to look at here for him he he saw everything that his dad had accomplished coming here to canada he's got an experience that's so different from from many other people and his dad was was the pillar uh, of, of the family and he's got a lot of other really strong people in his family we know that and i think that zane has has dealt with this uh, in an amazing way and for those of us who didn't have the chance to be there at the last minute, my dad died when he was fairly young. Um, it, it's very interesting what you were saying, Evan, because it's it's the ability to look at the whole life of the person. My dad was a, a towering figure. He and my mom had 10 kids and, you know, they really struggled hard all their life and they were just amazing uh, people. My mom's still with us, but uh, I know exactly what he's talking about. Mm. You know, during the pandemic, there were other people who died of things not covid related i know two people in my family who who died of what I, i've called and i've invented the term covid sadness one of my brothers mm-hmm. was in a nursing home in ontario and all of a sudden nobody could come and see him the, the staff were looked like astronauts and he simply stopped eating he, he, he just he just decided that he was going to leave this earth and so this pandemic has left scars and left things that are mm-hmm. You know, I think we're going to take years to deal with it because we're still, you know, getting our fifth doses of our vaccines now and yeah. trying to pre- prevent this horrible mm. thing. There's there's a lot a lot left to deal with. Uh, I just want to say I don't know I didn't know your dad Tom, but if he had ten kids, uh, he clearly <laughs> loved life and had a lot of strength because ten mole cares. If you're any indication, <laughs> the guy must have been an absolute incredible it's guy. Called, it's called it's called hedging your bet. <laughs> <laughs> My God, ten mulcares, Timmy. Uh, I, I've had the great chance to to be with Tim. Tim's mom, Deb's, is a force in nature. Fantastic. Uh, but any words to Zane and and about that? You know, losing. Like again, we're in this collective moment of grief. So I, I feel it's okay to talk about this. We're we're talking about the Queen, but it allows a space for all of us to talk about how we deal with memory and continuity. Timmy. Well, and equally important, we're all four men here. And 10 years ago, a discussion like this probably wouldn't have happened. And it's important that it is. As I said to Zane, as you know, my dad died. It'll be uh, nine years on September 20th. Still remember the day. Still remember how it happened. Passed away in my sister's house of a heart attack here in Ottawa. Uh, And uh, I think about him every day. I've been blessed since then to to have a a young son, Patrick, in the, the greatest gift I try to give Patrick other than love and support or memories of his grandfather because in Patrick I see a lot of the things I saw in my father so I've I've been blessed now in uh, a few years after my dad passed away but in you know your parent is your parent your dad is your dad no matter what the age and it still hurts and it's still hard and you do your best to take the good and the inspiration from them and carry them forward. Uh, well said, all. And by the way, Tim, uh, to Patrick, I follow the Mulcair exam. We got nine more to go, so just uh, <laughs> so eat, eat well, buddy. Because I tell you, there's not a lot of sleep. Zane, Zane, you, you've also your mother-in-law is obviously Lieutenant Governor of uh, um, Alberta. But to, polls on the monarchy. Let, let's just quickly. I got just a couple minutes. Yeah. The, the polls on the monarchy, like seventy-seven percent of Canadians don't care that much about it. Are we overdoing this ten days or not? I don't think we're overdoing the 10 days. We still are a, you know, constitutional monarchy. We still, you know, have, have the king. We still have our lieutenant governors, our governor general. 
our democratic processes still flow in. I don't think we're overdoing it. There's also, you know, in, in terms of a practical sense, very little we can do as it relates to uh, us. If our polling is at 70 percent being like, oh, I don't like this thing. Well, we really can't do anything without the unanimity of, of, of all provinces and the federal government. So unlike, let's say, Australia, where their prime minister had kind of campaigned to lay down the groundwork to make Australia a republic, uh, he's now getting peppered with questions. Okay, when is that referendum question coming? You know, when are we going to kind of move away from this? Because similar polling has emerged out of there. Uh, but for us, don't think we're overdoing it. And I also don't think there's anything we can do about it. Tom, come well back. said, because because uh, constitutional change in Canada is nigh impossible. But one consolation is if we look because of what just happened, we've been talking about constitutional monarchies, go through the list. You know, countries like the Netherlands, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Great Britain, of course, and then offshoots like Canada and Australia. You know what? Or even, you know, throw in Japan. They don't do too badly in terms of political stability long term yeah. compared to many other places. OK, on hold Earth. on. Let, 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 Tom, I'll pick you up. I think that's that's a point. I got to just uh, speaking of political stability. We got to uh, take a break. The worm's going to be back. I want to talk a bit more about this. Pierre Polyev and the inflation issue. Lots more to come. Stay with the war room. through the changes. Here's Evan Solomon. We are back inside the war room with the uh, demi-royals, as I'll call them, because I have no authority to <laughs> give any titles. But um, anyway, Dr. Velge's here and Professor Bulgar is here and the Duke of Data. Tim Powers is here. Uh, Tom, I rudely interrupted you just because we had to pay the bills. Um, this is hey, we got to monetize we got to monetize, yes. <laughs> so let's monetize the monarchy here. Uh, just, just real quick, how's it going over in Quebec? Legault, there is an election there. The idea that uh, that uh, Premier Legault would, in one for one picosecond, actually say, everyone have a day off to honor the monarchy is like never going to happen. And, well, the PQ got mad at Legault because he put uh, the flags on Quebec buildings, the Quebec flag, at half staffs. So he, he did more than, than even the PQ wanted him to do. So that was a bit of a nod in the direction of, the, you know, the, the morning that everybody else was going through. But no, not, as you say, not a nanosecond of, uh, of holiday or a day off or, you know, remembrance that way. But again, compared to what others would have had him do, it wasn't that bad. But it's been an odd election. He's been really digging in on his anti-immigrant themes, very openly associating immigrants with violence. And it's just so unseemly. And it would never even pass, but it's hardly getting noticed in the rest of Canada. Then over the weekend, he really drilled down on people who arrive here without the ability to speak French right away, saying that they were going to break up the national cohesiveness of Quebec. So it's very clear now if at the beginning it was whoops that was a slip of the tongue i apologize yeah, i'm sorry misunderstood uh oh. now it's quite clear that this is attack he wants to be on because he's trying to keep the separatists within his fold and it's a scorched earth policy with regard to minorities religious and linguistic because of course one of his targets is the english-speaking community of quebec well, and he's also got the, the, a suddenly resurgent conservative party uh, coming yeah. up there. So he's got a uh, Zane. Let me go to you. What do you make of Pierre Polyev? Let, let's switch over. 
Mr. Paul, you have massive victories, 68%. We haven't even had a chance to talk about all this, guys. But uh, the 68%, yeah. now he comes out. He's already had his first battle with the mainstream media dismissing David Aiken, who, by the way, apologized for it. He did the wrong thing by interrupting Mr. Polyev. You could chase Mr. Polyev after. But Aiken knew he was in the wrong, yelling at Mr. Polyev before the thing. But then Mr. Polyev dismissed him as a liberal heckler, which is also the wrong thing. <laughs> but, but remember, all that is a sideshow to the inflation nation debate that the liberals are trying to shore up a very vulnerable wing on. So how do you uh, put that all into perspective, Doc? Yeah, a couple of things. So I think the 68 or 69% that Polyev got is an impressive number. More impressive as a number, 98%. That's how many of the ridings across the country he won. So this mandate that he's gotten from his members is extensive, it is broad, and it is deep. And we can't forget that from the ramifications of how much rope his party will let Pierre B. Pierre. And that includes things like yesterday, right? Where other times you could see if, if a leader had a 51% mandate and that ha- incident happened with Aiken yesterday, there might be folks being like, okay, we got to make sure we navigate this. In Pierre's case, they're going to give him the widest berth, the most amount of rope. I don't think that's a great thing in some ways in terms of trying to maybe tone shift, which I think he needs to do. I don't think he does. But uh, you'll see that, and you'll see more incidents like this, where Pierre's got the, the the widest berth to to be who he is. I think the biggest lesson for him, and the biggest sort of note I'd give him, not to say he wants to take advice from someone like me, is he can't get high on his own supply here, and 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 he needs to understand that there is a, an, an element of being able to moderate yourself, just even in tone, not even in policy, if you don't want to. But moderate yourself so that you're not always the shiny thing every single week, because I think that is where he runs out of gas and runs out of steam. If it's that same sort of energy week in, week out, people might turn on that rather than be attracted to it, because seven months and three years are very different time horizons. Mm -hmm. One being how long this leadership race was and one being how long he may need to wait until until he can officially take on Justin Trudeau. Good point. Good, 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 good luck following that, Tim Powers. You've got to figure out what tone shift means. Then you've got to try to say well, something as smart as get high about. on your I supply. Mean, I got a case of beer here. Come on. <laughs> you probably, yeah, you're probably high on your own supply right now. Okay, what's, what's your take on the, the inflation debate going on? And, and even clearly now, what we've seen this first kind of skirmish between a mainstream media, and, and, and which, by the way, Pierre probably have a scrupulously uh, ignored for seven months. That's not to excuse David Aiken behavior, but it's it's an interesting context. Yeah, I, I too, like you know David, I know him to be a professional journalist. Uh, yes, he made a mistake. He apologized for it. And the mistake is growing in as much as it's uh, going to put more coffers into conservative uh, fundraising accounts because they've already got a fundraising letter out on it. Oh, yeah. They, they um, had it out last night within about yeah. 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah, so look, you're almost playing into Pierre's narrative when you create that occasion, even though, yes, as you say, David was doing his job, albeit clumsily. Um, uh, Polyev I think Zane is diagnosed correctly. Uh, they ha- have a big, strong mandate. They have a whole tailwind of confidence. Um, there aren't many people in that group who doubt their own strength and vision and uh, course of sense of direction. They're going to have to be careful with that. The fact that they lost a conservative MP yesterday was almost entirely irrelevant to them. And that MP, Alan Reyes, who's a decent individual, Tom would know of him as well in Quebec, well regarded in Quebec, 
was dismissed as supporting just inflation. So exactly, yeah, the trick, exactly. The, the trick for Pierre is now pace. Um, and as you and I know, mm-hmm. as runners, is this a sprint or a marathon? And if it's a marathon, your pacing's got to be a hell of a lot different than it is, even though you start it well out of the gates. Okay, tempo yeah. shift, some tone shift to tempo shift. Tom, you're the only one here that's been on the other side of that when uh, journalists are gnawing at your knees there. What's what's the protocol and what did you make of that? Exchange, I, I really do want to get at the Liberals' response to inflation too, but Tom. Well, you can push back sometimes and, and it has to be done. But what I know with Poiliev is it's always a hard ball to the head. And if that's your only pitch, <laughs> people are just going to step back from the plate, right? And so it was so personal in his reaction. The one that uh, Tim just mentioned, Alain Reyes, hey, he was their key organizer. He put together the unbelievable slate of candidates in 2019. Unfortunately, it was squandered by Andrew Scheer, but yeah, he's he just was an Scheer's amazing Quebec lieutenant. Yeah, he was an amazing asset, this guy. Former mayor of Victoriaville, a sizable town here in Quebec. Very skilled player. And he just stepped back and said, I can't do it. I can't go with this guy. And, of course, that got him a very personal shot that you just mentioned. Same thing, you know, with regard to David Aiken, the consummate professional. By the way, the former Sun Media National Bureau Chief. You know, Sun Television <laughs> was, was Stephen Harper's Fox News. And this guy is a liberal Come on. You know, it didn't even make any sense. I, I also think that Aiken is so deeply experienced. He's smart to, to apologize. But what he was essentially doing is laying down his own marker. Hey, buddy, if you're not going to take questions and you think we're here to act as your stenographers, ain't going to happen. And I think that he was hmm. doing pushback in a, uh, you know, I like Tim's work. It was a bit clumsy. But I think that there was a deeper game going on there with the press gallery saying, hey, buddy, no, you, you know, you're not in front of your crowd in an arena in in Edmonton, you're in Parliament, and we've got questions for you, and we're going to do our jobs, and we're going to let you do yours, but respect us, otherwise we won't respect yeah, you. Of course They're willing to take them down a peg. Right, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, though. People are going to say, see, they pick on us more as conservatives than the Trudeau. I get oh. Okay, but Zane, I'm going to give you the last word today. Um, real quick, the Liberals finally get back uh, with some kind of affordability plan, you know, 500 bucks on the home rental, they're doubling the GST tax credit, and, the, and, and, and um, national dental care for kids under... Uh, 12 for low-income kids. Uh, too little, too late for them, or are they back in the game? Uh, too little, too late, and, and just really botched the comms from my perspective, because I, as much as I like each of these three policies elementally, the headline is now reading dental care, the solution to inflation. And part of that is because of the torquing on the other side. But haven't we seen this movie? We saw this movie with childcare as being the solution to inflation. And so it almost kind of shows once again, and, and if you want to criticize, uh, it gives the conservatives and the, in, in some ways a lot of rope to say, look, again, these yeah. guys are only good at announcing what they've already produced because they don't have any creative or real solutions to what affects you. They just want to stick to their plan regardless of what you're going through. Right, right. And I think they've opened themselves up to that criticism again. Well, you can't say a beer is a cure for every bad day, but uh, maybe <laughs> dental care is not a cure for inflation, but we may help some people. We're not sure. Okay, Zane, Tom, and uh, Tim, great to, great, great to... <laughs> I was going to call you the Duke of Data. Hey, Zane, our love and thoughts go out to you and the family, of course. Uh, gents, you're, you're, you're all just great guys, and I really appreciate it. i got to take a break. Joy Melbourne is in London on the other side.
making sense of the latest news. You're listening to The Evan Solomon Show. Queen Elizabeth's coffin has arrived at British Parliament for religious service before the Queen lies in state until Monday's funeral. Here's a sound of the choir singing as the coffin arrived at Westminster Hall. Pretty remarkable moments. You you see the coffin and the royal standard uh, draped over it. The, the crown of state resting on top. The artillery salutes at one minute intervals. It's been pretty extraordinary scenes. Uh, Joy Melbourne, the CTV Washington Bureau Chief, is in London right now following all this. Joy, um, it is just, I mean, there's so much pomp and circumstance and ceremony here. Give us a sense of what we're actually seeing before we get into to kind of the reaction. You know, what's really struck me, Evan, and hello, um, in London, it was about gratitude and it was about grief. When you look at some of the pictures of uh, the Queen leaving her London home, Buckingham Palace for Westminster for the very last time, the crowds, thousands and thousands and thousands of people were so respectful. And I think of the sounds, it was silent, just silent, except for you could hear music, of, of the Cortez, you could hear the chiming of Big Ben, you could hear the clip-clopping of the horses, and of course, every minute, a, a cannon boomed. And at times, you could hear from the crowd applause, and I know that seems odd, because it was like it was like the funeral, although we are waiting for the funeral on Monday, and it, it, it's because people wanted to say, well done, Your Majesty, we thank you for your service and for your duty. And there was so much gratitude. And the only thing they could do would be to clap. It, it was amazing to look at some of the pictures of, of, of some of the people in the crowd. There were so many tears, people so silent, because it's like when you see it in person, it becomes so much more real. Speaking of Joy Malbin, it's true. There's, look, we're, it's a remarkable moment. And, and I would. But it also, there's a practical reality. Uh, I mean, the British economy is, is in basically collapse. They're, they're heading towards 18% inflation. Um, and, and I know there's going to be a bank holiday on the 19th. But, of course, um, that's going to even further try to hurt the, uh, the GDP. Like, it's very, it's very interesting that it's almost like as Britain kind of careens towards a very uncertain future, it's honoring a very certain past. Exactly. And and so many people I've talked to over the past few days have said almost the same thing. She was there for us, and we want to be there for her. And she was a constant. She offered stability and unity. And, and the irony in all of this is she didn't really give interviews. We didn't hear a lot of her opinions or what she, what she said, but everyone could kind of project on her what they thought the family should be, what we should be, uh, you know, the, the, the British stiff upper lip, that sort of thing. But she was also a global queen in many ways. It's interesting to note, you know, Kevin, the first people who, to, to file past her coffin today weren't from Britain. 
They were from Ghana. They were from Wales, Sri Lanka. Um, you know, there are thousands of people. They, they estimate something like two to 3,000 could file by every hour. Um, she really did give Britain that sense of keep calm and carry on in a sense. Because remember, you know, she was there during the blitz. She drove an ambulance in the war. Um, you know, she she brought the, the royal family through. I, I remember this very clearly. I was here covering Diana's shocking death. And when we didn't see her for, for 10 days, there were terrible headlines saying, where is our queen? They wanted a comforter in chief. And that is what they offered Britain. They did, and, and of course, and that's what Britain's now offering the family. Um, you know, polls here, Joy, have said that there's a very ambivalent attitude toward the institution of the monarchy, not an ambivalent attitude toward the Queen herself, as we look at more pictures of of, of the Queen's coffin and, and draped in the standard and, and the crown. I mean, just extraordinary scenes, actually. The Beefeaters walking beside. Um, nonetheless... Uh, is there a sense that the new king is going to have a uphill climb with lots of uh, difficult moments to try to do what his mother did for 70 years, maintain the dignity and relevancy of the monarchy? He's got a tough road to, to, to hoe, I, I have got to tell you. I mean, I was in Belfast yesterday uh, where he is he's doing his job. You know, there isn't time for him to, to privately mourn, not a lot of time anyway. He, he, he is visiting all four nations in the United Kingdom. He goes to Wales on Friday, and he's got a tough job. He was in Northern Ireland where we all know uh, political tensions are very high. We have people remember the troubles, uh, you know, political and, and religious violence that, that happened there. Uh, among nationalists and unionists. And, uh, you know, I spoke to a lot of people there, and they said, well, let's give him a chance. Um, others said, you know, he doesn't have the charm and the charisma of the queen. Oh, we're not so sure. And it's a younger generation. It's it's a different, uh, you know, a, a different Britain now. Uh, so he's got a tough job, although I did read that there are some opinion polls that say that he's gotten a little bit of a bump. Maybe it's the sympathy because he has lost his mother, but... We've got Scotland, where opinion polls show, you know, uh, Nicola, Nicola Sturgeon, the, the um, uh, first minister, she, she wants she wants another referendum on independence. Wales is talking separatism. You hear Australia and New Zealand saying, well, we will eventually become a republic, just not now. Um, so he's got a very tough job to do, which is why in all of this morning in, in Britain, He's also visiting these fractious nations, uh, trying to keep it all together. And that is the job. Um, the next couple of days, I mean, it, it is a remarkable 10 days. It's not a short period of time to honor uh, Queen Elizabeth. But what will happen sort of over the weekend? So you get Saturday and Sunday preparing for the state funeral on uh, Monday. Millions of people are expected to uh, obviously watch it and be there. But I guess they're as the Queen lies in state, people will also line up. Yeah, the queues are incredible. Um, I mean, I, I just mentioned that police security was estimating something like two to 3,000 people are there today um, queuing up. And that will go on uh, 24 hours a day uh, for the next, um, or today and then the next four days. And that's the kind of thing um, that is going to go on. Um, as far as um, as far as uh, the people here, 
I, I just passed clubs, and people are in their morning dress. They're wearing That's black uh, as yeah. if to, at a funeral. Yeah, it, it, it's like it, one woman told me this, and it just registers with me. She said, I grew up with the Queen. I saw her coronation, and it's as if a member of my own family has died. That's how deep it runs. Yeah, I think it's, it's she's a constant... It's the passing of an era as well as the passing of a person. And it is an age that uh, all of a sudden you realize, my God, 70 years, essentially the whole post-war period has been presided over essentially by Queen Elizabeth II and, and through all the all the ups and downs of it. Uh, Joy Malvin, you have got what, what an, a remarkable thing to be part of and to witness, Joy. And great to have you on the program as you follow this uh, remarkable last journey of the Queen. History, Evan, history. It's, it's an amazing time to be here. Thank you. Joy Malin from CTV, our bureau chief in Washington, now reporting from London, as so many others are, uh, just to be there and to, and to follow this massive story. All right, coming up, the helpless bachelor, the whining of a helpless bachelor, the violenza. No, this is the weird thing, the vestiges of the last where people just assume I'm completely useless. Now, that is not without evidence, as I will tell you that when Tam left for her expedition on the ocean, which, which is what her job is, um, the house was in perfect condition. Let me just tell you, perfect condition. I don't know what happened in 48 hours, because I don't think I did much, but chaos has reigned. I will tell you that, and the toilet story, and others. As your world changes, we adapt to get your answers. Now more with Evan Solomon. I'm not falling apart. You're falling apart. Look, I'm an empty nester, and I'm dealing with it in... And I'm not... I I thought I was a very self-sufficient guy. I think I am. You know, I love to camp. I love to the outdoors. I consider myself very self-sufficient. But because my kids are now away at school, my wife, who's the chief of staff of students on ice, so she's often away on these sort of expeditions on an icebreaker like she's in the Bay of Fundy or somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean right now and she's gone for a number of weeks so people call me and assume like they never would call Tam like are you okay Evan's gone because they know she's competent but they assume that I'm incompetent now I just want to assure you I'm not totally incompetent though I am enjoying the generosity of people and then I talked to Sam and she goes how are things going or my wife calls like how are things going and the truth is if you want the truth when Tam left, um, the house was in perfect order. And I remember, like, the, she's been now gone for whatever, 10 or 12 days. And when, after, like, the second day, I looked around, and it was like a pigsty. How did it happen? Now, it's true, I work out. I love to, you know, run and, and work out. So all of a sudden, on the dining room table, there's a lot of dirty laundry. And then... I play guitar at night because there's nothing else to do. My guitar is there and a bunch of stuff. And so that was there. And, you know, I was doing a little work around the house. So there were some tools out. And I bought some more dog food. I hadn't taken that to the basement yet. So there's dog food. And then, you know, 
I was trying to do some meal prepping, so I was cooking meatballs in the oven while I was cooking some chicken, but I had to shower after a workout after work, so then I left the meatballs in the oven. They were starting to burn, and and so then I heard this noise, and unfortunately, someone had called me. I was up showering. Okay, I'm going to just get graphic. This is what happened. The meatballs are in the oven. I turned the stove off. The dog I had left outside already. Puddle, I'd let out to pee, but I'd forgotten her. So dog is outside barking. I couldn't hear her. And I've only been alone for 24 hours. I go upstairs to, so I'll just take a quick shower, just rinse off from the run. And then the phone rings. Someone's like, hey, what are you doing? Nothing. But I didn't know I had the earbuds in. And then I decided to also follow Puddle's example and pee. And... I was drying off, and one of my um, Apple AirPods fell into the pee toilet. And I was like, oh, my God, what's happening? And then, like, I was like, oh, my God, the meatballs are burning and the dog's barking. And then I had to stick my hand in the pee toilet. Then I had to rinse off. And I, I didn't tell this to Sam. I was not on the phone, let me just say, when I was not peeing on the phone. But I did lose my AirPod in the pee toilet before I flushed. So I had to grossly get it. It was so gross. I reached right in there. Then the next day on our morning call, Sam says to me, I go, hey, Sam, can you hear me? She goes, yeah, I hear you fine. I'm like, oh. Then later I told her about the pee toilet. I'm like, I just thought I might have destroyed my AirPod. I should give a shout out to Apple. They are pee proof because it completely survived. Anyway, let the dog in. Got the, And so I'm just going to tell you the other thing. So everything's going well, I think. And Tam calls again, and she's like, when the kids were here, we had uh, a cleaning person come once a week. We have like a once a week clean cleaning situation. My wife works, I work, and, uh, you know, uh, it's very helpful when you have two kids. And she says, look, I've obviously canceled the cleaner this week because you're alone. And I'm like, do not cancel the cleaner. Are you crazy? This place is a pigsty. I think you should get them twice a week. I can't handle it. And now I'm eating. I'm eating okay. Like, I have the meatballs and the chicken. I like uh, I like the flattened barbecue chicken. My wife is like, have, are you eating any vegetables? As if I have, like, scurvy. Yes. I've had a vegetable. This morning, this morning I was getting ready for work, and you know how the toothpaste is running out from the tube? So uh, I, I thought the cap was on properly. And so I, you know how you, you take the tube and you kind of roll it on the rim of the sink to kind of get the toothpaste up to the top of the tube, you know? And so I was in a hurry, so I rolled it. The cap wasn't on and the toothpaste just blew out all over. <laughs> like, this never happens when I'm with Tam. And this is the thing. Like, it's like a bad situation. And I don't know how things are going to pot so quickly. I will give you an update. Dog and cat both alive, right? Good news. Puddles fine. I have relied on the kindness of strangers for many dinners, which I love. I can cook and I like cooking. But let's be honest, cooking alone kind of like Sam, cooking alone kind of sucks. Yeah, it does. You kind of want to have, you know, someone at least in the house that you can talk to. Or and and I, I, I will say this. I, I love, like, I can do it. You do whatever you want. This is my total new freedom. Like, I watch an incredible amount of sports at night now. And so, but I eat in front of the TV. There's no conversation. I, I'm dying. I'm like, oh, Blue Jays are on. I'll eat in front of the TV. You know, right. Or I'm going out to dinner. That's your entertainment, right? You're just. And then you go out to dinner. And I will tell you this, and, and I don't know, guys, and, and, and maybe single people, men or women, whatever. 
people drink a lot more when they're out. Like, like people are drinking. Like, I went out with someone. I had two drinks. They had eight drinks. Eight. I could not do that. Normal. Single guy. Like, w- the bills pile up, right? You're going out more. You're drinking. Like, now, I'm just saying I am completely uh, out of practice with this whole empty nest thing. Like, I'm so used to sort of, you know, 19 years of, of kids and a wife around me. And uh, this this little period in September when things are busy, where basically it's been a blowout, Charlie. Uh, and now, because Tam's away, I try to get the house fixed up. Last time she was away, I stained the deck, right? This time, we got to get our house painted a bit, like the shutters on the outside. So I've got the sh- the the painters here today. And I hope they're doing a good job because I'm at work. But... Then I, we had a little leak in one of our, like, uh, a rain. So, and, you know, uh, the water came through the roof. Another classic moment. So we got two spots inside that we need repainting because there's water damage, right? I did Not enough to claim insurance so your insurance goes up. So you just got to eat it. So anyway, I asked the painters because it's lifted the tape up, right? It's a bit more of it's a drywall job too, not just a paint job. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get this done. Why not? There's just two spots. So, so the painters are like, is anyone going to be home today? So I've just today left a group of complete strangers in my house alone. I haven't told Tammy that. So what's the drill? I, can I just get some texts on that? If you're alone and someone needs to do some work inside your house, do you just let the, the, the people who are paid to work on your house alone inside your house? Now, do you have a Nest camera? I got to get one of those. I don't own, no, I don't have one of those. I guess I should get a Nest camera. That's actually smart. Why didn't I think of that before? (laughs) Yeah. I I just let these people, they're roaming around my house right now. Uh, Who knows what could happen? Shut up. I don't know. I'm just saying. Who knows? Would you, would your parents let total strangers in your house? I don't think so. Like whenever (laughs) we've had people come over, it's mostly when one of us is home. Right. Um, But eh, maybe they'll find the AirPod in the pee toilet. Who knows? Someone just said, you know, fries don't count as vegetables. I have had a fair bit of fries. I will say that. When you said you hopped in the shower and the meatballs were in the oven, I couldn't help but laugh. Oh, I get what you're saying. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Yes. No, they were genuinely meatballs in the oven. And and by the way, they didn't burn. Uh, Grace says, party at Evans House. Bring your instruments. Yes. Beer, pizza, and guitars. Gray, you are welcome. There is no one home. I would welcome. You want to talk about sports? Bring your guitar, have a beer, have some pizza. Gray, you are welcome. Surrender your man card at the door, please. (laughs) Anyway, I'm surviving. I'm still standing.